0: did you say? Mrs. Whatset tugged at her second boot. I said, she grunted, shoving her foot down in, that there is shove, such a thing, shove, as a tesseract. Her foot went down into the boot and grabbing shawls, scarves, and hat, she hustled out the door. Mrs. Murray stayed very still, making no move to help the old woman. As the door opened, Fordenbrass streaked in, panting, wet and shiny as a seal. He looked at Mrs. Murray and whined. The door slammed. Mother, what's the matter? Meg cried. What did she say? What is it? The Tesseract, Mrs. Murray whispered. What did she mean? How could she have known? Chapter Two Mrs. Who When Meg woke to the jangling of her alarm clock, the wind was still blowing, but the sun was shining. The worst of the storm was over. She sat up in bed, shaking her head to clear it. It must have been a dream. She'd been frightened by the storm and worried about the tramp, so she just dreamed about going down to the kitchen and seeing missus Whatsit and having her mother get all frightened and upset by that word. What was it? Tess? Tess Tess-something. She dressed hurriedly, picked up the kitten still curled up on the bed, and dumped it unceremoniously on the floor. The kitten yawned, stretched, gave a piteous meow, trotted out of the attic and down the stairs. Meg made her bed and hurried after it. In the kitchen, her mother was making French toast and the twins were already at the table. The kitten was lapping milk out of a saucer. "'Where's Charles?' Meg asked still asleep. We had rather an interrupted night, if you remember. I hoped it was a dream, Meg said. Her mother carefully turned over four slices of French toast, then said in a steady voice, no, Meg, don't hope it was a dream. I don't understand it any more than you do. But one thing I've learned is that you don't have to understand things for them to be. I'm sorry I showed you I was upset. Your father and I used to have a joke about Tesseract. What is a Tesseract? Meg asked. It's a concept, Mrs. Murray handed the twins the syrup. I'll try to explain it to you later. There isn't time before school. I don't see why you didn't wake us up, Dennis said. It's a jib we missed out on all the fun. You'll be a lot more awake in school today than I will. Meg took her French toast to the table. Who cares? Sandy said. "'If you're going to let old Tramps come into the house in the middle of the night, Mother, "'you ought to have Den and me around to protect you. "'After all, Father would expect us to,' Dennis added. "'We know you have a great mind and all, Mother,' Sandy said. "'But you don't have much sense. "'And certainly Meg and Charles don't.' "'I know, we're morons,' Meg was bitter. "'I wish you wouldn't be such a dope, Meg. "'Syrup, please,' Sandy reached across the table. "'You don't have to take everything so personally.' Use a happy medium, for heaven's sake. You just goof around in school and look out the window and don't pay any attention. You just make things harder for yourself, Dennis said. And Charles Wallace is going to have an awful time next year when he starts school. We know he's bright, but he's so funny when he's around other people and they're so used to thinking he's dumb. I don't know what's going to happen to him. Sandy and I will sock anybody who picks on him, but that's about all we can do. Let's not worry about next year till we get through this one, Mrs. Murray said. More French toast, boys. At school, Meg was tired, and her eyelids sagged, and her mind wandered. In social studies, she was asked to name the principal imports and exports of Nicaragua, and though she had looked them up dutifully the evening before, now she could remember none of them. The teacher was sarcastic, the rest of the class laughed, and she flung herself down in her seat in a fury. "'Who cares about the imports and exports of Nicaragua anyhow?' she muttered. "'If you're going to be rude, Margaret, you may leave the room,' the teacher said. "'Okay, I will,' Meg flounced out. During study hall, the principal sent for her. "'What seems to be the problem now, Meg?' he asked pleasantly enough. Meg looked sulkily down at the floor. "'Nothing, Mr. Jenkins.' "'Miss Porter tells me you were inexcusably rude,' Meg shrugged. "'Don't you realize that you just make everything harder for yourself by your attitude?' the principal asked. "'Now, Meg, I'm convinced that you can do the work and keep up with your grade if you will apply yourself. "'But some of your teachers are not. You're going to have to do something about yourself. "'Nobody can do it for you,' Meg was silent.' Well, what about it, Meg? I don't know what to do, Meg said. You could do your homework, for one thing. Wouldn't your mother help you? If I asked her to. Meg, is something troubling you? Are you unhappy at home? Mr. Jenkins asked. At last, Meg looked at him, pushing at her glasses in a characteristic gesture. Everything's fine at home. I'm glad to hear it, but I know it must be hard on you to have your father away. Meg eyed the principal warily and ran her tongue over the barbed line of her braces. Have you had any news from him lately? Meg was sure it was not only imagination that made her feel that behind Mr. Jenkins's surface concern was a gleam of avid curiosity. Wouldn't he like to know, she thought. And if I knew anything, he'd be the last person I'd tell. Well, one of the last. The postmistress must know that it was almost a year now since the last letter, and heaven knows how many people she'd told or what unkind guesses she'd made about the reason for the long silence. Mr. Jenkins waited for an answer, but Meg only shrugged. Just what was your father's line of business? Mr. Jenkins asked. (coughs) Some kind of scientist, wasn't he? He is a physicist, Meg bared her teeth to reveal the two ferocious lines of braces. Meg, don't you think you'd make a better adjustment to life if you faced facts? I do face facts, Meg said. They're a lot easier to face than people, I can tell you. Then why don't you face facts about your father? You leave my father out of it, Meg shouted. Stop bellowing, Mr. Jenkins said sharply. Do you want the entire school to hear you? So what? Meg demanded. I'm not ashamed of anything I'm saying, are you? Mr. Jenkins sighed. Do you enjoy being the most belligerent, uncooperative child in school? Meg ignored this. She leaned over the desk toward the principal. Mr. Jenkins, you've met my mother, haven't you? You can't accuse her of not facing facts, can you? She's a scientist. She has doctor's degrees in both biology and bacteriology. Her business is facts. When she tells me that my father isn't coming home, I'll believe it. As long as she says father is coming home, then I'll believe that. Mr. Jenkins sighed again. No doubt your mother wants to believe that your father is coming home, Meg. Very well, I can't do anything else with you. Go on back to study hall. Try to be a little less antagonistic. Maybe your work would improve if your general attitude were more tractable. When Meg got home from school, her mother was in the lab, the twins were at Little League, and Charles Wallace, the kitten, and Fortenbaugh were waiting for her. Fordenbrook jumped up, put his front paws on her shoulders, and gave her a kiss, and the kitten rushed to his empty saucer and mewed loudly. Come on, Charles Wallace said. Let's go. Where? Meg asked. I'm hungry, Charles. I don't want to go anywhere till I've had something to eat. She was still sore from the interview with Mr. Jenkins, and her voice sounded cross. Charles Wallace looked at her thoughtfully as she went to the refrigerator and gave the kitten some milk, then drank a mugful herself. He handed her a paper bag. Here's a sandwich and some cookies and an apple. I thought we'd better go see Mrs. What's it? Oh, golly, Meg said. Why, Charles? You're still uneasy about her, aren't you? Charles asked. Well, yes. Don't be. She's all right, I promise you. She's on our side. How do you know? Meg, he said impatiently. "'I know. But why should we go see her now? "'I want to find out more about that Tesseract thing. "'Didn't you see how it upset Mother? "'You know when Mother can't control the way she feels. "'When she lets us see she's upset, then it's something big.' "'Meg thought for a moment. "'Okay, let's go. But let's take Fortinbras with us. "'Well, of course he needs the exercise.' They set off, Fortinbrough rushing ahead, then doubling back to the two children, then leaping off again. The Murrays lived about four miles out of the village. Behind the house was a pine woods, and it was through this that Charles Wallace took Meg. Charles, you know she's going to get in awful trouble, Mrs. Watson, I mean. If they find out she's broken into the haunted house and taking Mrs. Buncombe's sheets and everything, they could send her to jail. One of the reasons I want to go over this afternoon is to warn them. Them? I told you she was there with her two friends. I'm not even sure it was Mrs. Watson herself who took the sheets, though I wouldn't put it past her. But what would she want all those sheets for? I intend to ask her, Charles Wallace said, and to tell them they'd better be more careful. I don't really think they'll let anybody find them. But I just thought we ought to mention the possibility. Sometimes during vacations, some of the boys go out there looking for thrills. But I don't think anybody's apt to right now, what with basketball and everything. They walked in silence for a moment through the fragrant woods, the rusty pine needles gentle under their feet. Up above them, the wind made music in the branches. Charles Wallace slipped his hand confidingly in Meg's and the sweet little boy gesture warmed her so that she felt the tense knot inside her begin to loosen. Charles loves me at any rate, she thought. School awful again today? He asked after a while. Yes, I got sent to Mr. Jenkins. He made snide remarks about father. Charles Wallace nodded sagely. I know. How do you know? Charles Wallace shook his head. I can't quite explain. You tell me, that's all. But I never say anything. You just seem to know. Everything about you tells me, Charles said. How about the twins, Meg asked. Do you know about them, too? I suppose I could if I wanted to, if they needed me. But it's sort of tiring, so I just concentrate on you and Mother. You mean you read our minds? Charles Wallace looked troubled. I don't think it's that. It's being able to understand a sort of language. Like, sometimes if I concentrate very hard, I can understand the wind talking with the trees. You tell me, you see, sort of in a inadvertently. That's a good word, isn't it? I got Mother to look it up in the dictionary for me this morning. I really must learn to read. "'Except I'm afraid it will make it awfully hard for me in school next year "'if I already know things. "'I think it will be better if people go on thinking I'm not very bright. "'They won't hate me quite so much.' "'Ahead of them, Fordenbrass started barking loudly, "'the warning bay that usually told them that a car was coming up the road "'or that someone was at the door. "'Somebody's here,' Charles Wallace said sharply. "'Somebody's hanging around the house. Come on!' "'He started to run.' his short legs straining. At the edge of the woods, Fortenbrah stood in front of a boy, barking furiously. As they came panting up, the boy said, for crying out loud, call off your dog. Who is he? Charles Wallace asked Meg. Calvin O'Keefe. He's in regional, but he's older than I am. He's a big bug. It's all right, fella. I'm not going to hurt you, the boy said to Fortenbrah. Sit, Fort, Charles Wallace commanded. And Fortinbrah dropped to his haunches in front of the boy, a low growl still pulsing in his dark throat. Okay, Charles Wallace put his hands on his hips. Now, tell us what you're doing here. I might ask the same of you, the boy said with some indignation. Aren't you two of the Murray kids? This isn't your property, is it? He started to move, but Fortinbras' growl grew louder, and he stopped. "'Tell me about him, Meg,' Charles Wallace demanded. "'What would I know about him?' Meg asked. "'He's a couple of grades above me, and he's on the basketball team.' "'Just because I'm tall,' Calvin sounded a little embarrassed. "'Tall, he certainly was, and skinny. "'His bony wrists stuck out of the sleeves of his blue sweater. "'His worn corduroy trousers were three inches too short.' He had orange hair that needed cutting and the appropriate freckles to go with it. His eyes were an oddly bright blue. Tell us what you're doing here, Charles Wallace said. What is this, the third degree? Aren't you the one who's supposed to be the moron? Meg flushed with rage, but Charles Wallace answered placidly. That's right. If you want me to call my dog off, you'd better give. Most peculiar moron I've ever met. Calvin said. I just came to get away from my family. Charles Wallace nodded. What kind of family? They all have runny noses. I'm fur from the top of 11 kids. I'm a sport. At that, Charles Wallace grinned widely. So am I. I don't mean like in baseball, Calvin said. Neither do I. I mean like in biology. Calvin said suspiciously. A change in gene, Charles Wallace quoted, resulting in the appearance in the offspring of a character which is not present in the parents, but which is potentially transmissible to its offspring. What gives around here, Calvin asked. I was told you couldn't talk. Thinking I'm a moron gives people something to feel smug about, Charles Wallace said. Why should I disillusion them? How old are you, Cal? Fourteen. What grade? Junior, eleventh. I'm bright. Listen, did anybody ask you to come here this afternoon? Charles Wallace, holding Fort by the collar, looked at Calvin suspiciously. What do you mean, asked? Calvin shrugged. You still don't trust me, do you? I don't distrust you, Charles Wallace said. "'Do you want to tell me why you're here, then?' "'Fort and Meg and I decided to go for a walk we often do in the afternoon.' Calvin dug his hands down in his pockets. "'You're holding out on me.' "'So are you,' Charles Wallace said. "'Okay, old sport,' Calvin said. "'I'll tell you this much. "'Sometimes I get a feeling about things. "'You might call it a compulsion. "'Do you know what compulsion means?' Constraint? Obligation? Because one is compelled? Not a very good definition, but it's the concise Oxford. Okay, okay. I must remember I'm preconditioned in my concept of your mentality. Meg sat down on the coarse grass at the edge of the woods. Fort gently twisted his collar out of Charles Wallace's hands and came over to Meg, lying down beside her and putting his head in her lap. Calvin tried now politely to direct his words toward Meg as well as Charles Wallace. When I get this feeling, this compulsion, I always do what it tells me. I can't explain where it comes from or how I get it. And it doesn't happen very often, but I obey it. And this afternoon I had a feeling that I must come over to the haunted house. That's all I know, kid. I'm not holding anything back. Maybe it's because I'm supposed to meet you you tell me. Charles Wallace looked at Calvin probingly for a moment. Then an almost glazed look came into his eyes, and he seemed to be thinking at him. Calvin stood very still and waited. At last, Charles Wallace said, okay, I believe you, but I can't tell you. I think I'd like to trust you. Maybe you'd better come home with us and have dinner. Well, sure, but what would your mother say to that? "'Calvin asked. "'She'd be delighted. Mother's all right. "'She's not one of us, but she's all right. "'What about Meg?' "'Meg has it tough,' Charles Wallace said. "'She's not really one thing or the other.' "'What do you mean one of us?' Meg demanded. "'What do you mean I'm not one thing or the other?' "'Not now, Meg,' Charles Wallace said. "'Slowly. I'll tell you about it later.' He looked at Calvin, then seemed to make a quick decision. Okay, let's take him to meet Mrs. Wetson. If he's not okay, she'll know. He started off on his short legs toward the dilapidated house. The haunted house was half in the shadows of the clump of elms in which it stood. The elms were almost bare now, and the ground around the house was yellow with damp leaves. The late afternoon light had a greenish cast which the blank windows reflected in a sinister way. An unhinged shutter thumped. Something else creaked. Meg did not wonder that the house had a reputation for being haunted. A board was nailed across the front door, but Charles Wallace led the way around to the back. The door there appeared to be nailed shut, too, but Charles Wallace knocked, and the door swung slowly outward creaking on rusty hinges. Up in one of the elms, an old black crow gave its raucous cry, and a woodpecker went into a wild rat-a-tat-tat. A large gray rat scuttled around the corner of the house, and Meg let out a stifled shriek. They get a lot of fun out of using all the typical props, Charles Wallace said in a reassuring voice. Come on, follow me. Calvin put a strong hand to Meg's elbow, and Fort pressed against her leg. Happiness at their concern was so strong in her that her panic fled, and she followed Charles Wallace into the dark recesses of the house without fear. They entered into a sort of kitchen. There was a huge fireplace with a big black pot hanging over a merry fire. Why had there been no smoke visible from the chimney? Something in the pot was bubbling, and it smelled more like one of Mrs. Murray's chemical messes than something to eat. In a dilapidated Boston rocker sat a plump little woman. She wasn't Mrs. What's-It, so she must, Meg decided, be one of Mrs. What's it's two friends. She wore enormous spectacles, twice as thick and twice as large as Meg's, and she was sewing busily with rapid jabbing stitches on a sheet. Several other sheets lay on the dusty floor. Charles Wallace went up to her. I really don't think you ought to have taken Mrs. Buncombe's sheets without consulting me, he said, as cross and bossy as only a very small boy can be. What on earth do you want them for? The plump little woman beamed at him. Why, Charlesy, my pet, le coeur a ses raisons que la raison ne connaît point. French, Pascal, the heart has its reasons, whereof reason knows nothing. But that's not appropriate at all, Charles said crossly. Your mother would find it so. A smile seemed to gleam through the roundness of spectacles. I'm not talking about my mother's feelings about my father, Charles Wallace scolded. I'm talking about Mrs. Buncombe's sheets. The little woman sighed. The enormous glasses caught the light again and shone like an owl's eyes. "'In case we need ghosts, of course,' she said. "'I should think you'd have guessed. "'If we have to frighten anybody away, "'what's-it thought we ought to do it appropriately? "'That's why it's so much fun to stay in a haunted house. "'But we really didn't mean you to know about the sheets.' frische Tat ertrapt, German, in flagrante delicto, Latin. Caught in the act, English, as I was saying. But Charles Wallace held up his hand in a peremptory gesture. Mrs. Who, do you know this boy? Calvin bowed. Good afternoon, ma'am. I didn't quite catch your name. Mrs. Who will do the woman said. He wasn't my idea, Charlesy, but I think he's a good one. Where's Mrs. it? Charles asked. She's busy. It's getting near time, Charlesy, getting near time. Ab honesto wiram bonum nihil deseret, Seneca. Nothing deters a good man from doing what he is honourable, and he's a very good man, Charlesy, darling, but right now he needs our help. Who? Meg demanded. And little Mixie. lovely to meet you, sweetheart. Your father, of course. Now go home, loves. The time is not yet ripe. Don't worry, we won't go without you. Get plenty of food and rest. Feed Calvin up. Now off with you. Justishy soror fiddies. Latin again, of course. Faith is the sister of justice. Trust in us, now shoo. And she fluttered up from her chair and pushed them out the door with surprising power. Charles, Meg said, I don't understand. Charles took her by the hand and dragged her away from the house. Fortenbra ran on ahead and Calvin was close behind them. No, he said, I don't either yet, not quite. I'll tell you what I know as soon as I can, but you saw for it, didn't you? Not a growl, not a quiver. Just as though there weren't anything strange about it, so you know it's okay. Look, do me a favor, both of you. Let's not talk about it till we've had something to eat. I need fuel so I can sort things out and assimilate them properly. Lead on, moron, Calvin cried gaily. I've never even seen your house. And I have the funniest feeling that for the first time in my life I'm going home. CHAPTER three Mrs Witch In the forest evening was already beginning to fall, and they walked in silence. Charles and Fordenbra gambled on ahead. Calvin walked with Meg, his fingers barely touching her arm in a protective gesture. This has been the most impossible, the most confusing afternoon of my life, she thought. Yet, I don't feel confused or upset anymore. I only feel happy. Why? Maybe we weren't meant to meet before this, Calvin said. I mean, I knew who you were in school and everything, but I didn't know you. But I'm glad we've met now, Meg. We're going to be friends, you know. "'I'm glad, too,' Meg whispered, and they were silent again. "'When they got back to the house, Mrs. Murray was still in the lab. "'She was watching a pale blue fluid move slowly through a tube from a beaker to a retort. "'Over a Bunsen burner bubbled a big earthenware dish of stew. "'Don't tell Sandy and Dennis I'm cooking out here,' she said. "'They're always suspicious that a few chemicals may get in with the meat.' but I had an experiment I wanted to stay with. This is Calvin O'Keefe, Mother, Meg said. Is there enough for him, too? It smells super. Hello, Calvin, Mrs. Murray shook hands with him. Nice to meet you. We aren't having anything but stew tonight, but it's a good thick one. Sounds wonderful to me, Calvin said. May I use your phone so my mother will know where I am? Of course. Show him where it is, will you please, Meg? I won't ask you to use the one out here, if you don't mind. I'd like to finish up this experiment. Meg led the way into the house. Charles Wallace and Fortinbra had gone off. Outdoors, she could hear Sandy and Dennis hammering at the fort they were building up in one of the Maples. This way... Meg went through the kitchen and into the living room. I don't know why I call her when I don't come home, Calvin said, his voice bitter. She wouldn't notice. He sighed and dialed. Ma, he said. Oh, Hinky, tell Ma I won't be home till late. Now don't forget. I don't want to be locked out again. He hung up, looked at Meg. Do you know how lucky you are? She smiled rather wryly. Not most of the time. A mother like that? A house like this? Gee, your mother's gorgeous. You should see my mother. She had all her upper teeth out and Pop got her a plate, but she won't wear it. And most days she doesn't even comb her hair. Not that it makes much difference when she does. He clenched his fists. But I love her. That's the funny part of it. I love them all and they don't give a hoot about me. Maybe that's why I call when I'm not going to be home. Because I care. Nobody else does. You don't know how lucky you are to be loved. Meg said in a startled way, I guess I never thought of that. I guess I just took it for granted. Calvin looked somber. Then his enormous smile lit up his face again. Things are going to happen, Meg. Good things. I feel it. He began wandering, still slowly, around the pleasant, if shabby, living room. He stopped for a picture on the piano of a small group of men standing together on a beach. Who's this? Oh, a bunch of scientists. Where? Meg went over to the picture. Cape Canaveral, this one's father. Which? Here. The one with glasses? Yep, the one who needs a haircut. Meg giggled, forgetting her worries and her pleasure at showing Calvin the picture. His hair is sort of the same color as mine, and he keeps forgetting to have it cut. Mother usually ends up doing it for him. She bought clippers and stuff because he won't take the time to go to the barber. Calvin studied the picture. I like him, he announced judiciously. Looks kind of like Charles Wallace, doesn't he? Meg laughed again. When Charles was a baby, he looked exactly like father. It was really funny. Calvin continued to look at the picture. He's not handsome or anything, but I like him. Meg was indignant. He is too handsome. Calvin shook his head. Nah, he's tall and skinny like me. Well, I think you're handsome, Meg said. Father's eyes are kind of like yours too, you know, really blue, only you don't notice his as much because of the glasses. Where is he now? Meg stiffened, but she didn't have to answer because the door from lab to kitchen slammed. "'and Mrs. Murray came in carrying a dish of stew. "'Now,' she called, "'I'll finish this up properly on the stove. "'Have you done your homework, Meg?' "'Not quite,' Meg said, going back into the kitchen. "'Then I'm sure Calvin won't mind "'if you finish before dinner.' "'Sure, go ahead.' "'Calvin fished in his pocket "'and pulled out a wad of folded paper. "'As a matter of fact, "'I have some junk of mine to finish up. "'Math.' That's the one thing I have a hard time keeping up in. I'm okay on anything to do with words, but I don't do as well with numbers. Mrs. Murray smiled. Why don't you get Meg to help you? But see, I'm several grades above Meg. Try asking her to help you with your math anyhow, Mrs. Murray suggested. Well, sure, Calvin said. Here, but it's pretty complicated. Meg smoothed out the paper and studied it. Do they care how you do it, she asked. I mean, can you work it out your own way? Well, sure, as long as I understand and get the answers right. Well, we have to do it their way. Now look, Calvin, don't you see how much easier it would be if you did it this way? Her pencil flew over the paper. Hey, Calvin said. Hey, I think I get it. Show me once more on another one. Again, Meg's pencil was busy. All you have to remember is that every ordinary fraction can be converted into an infinite periodic decimal fraction, see? So three-sevenths is 0.428571. This is the craziest family, Calvin grinned at her. I suppose I should stop being surprised by now. But you're supposed to be dumb in school, always being called up on the carpet. Oh, I am. The trouble with Meg in math, Mrs. Murray said briskly is that Meg and her father used to play with numbers, and Meg learned far too many shortcuts. So when they want her to do problems the long way around at school, she gets sullen and stubborn and sets up a fine mental block for herself. Are there any more morons like Meg and Charles around? Calvin asked. If so, I should meet more of them. It might also help if Meg's handwriting were legible, Mrs. Murray said. With a good deal of difficulty, I can usually decipher it, but I doubt very much if her teachers can or are willing to take the time. I'm planning on giving her a typewriter for Christmas. That may be a help. If I get anything right, nobody'll believe it's me, Meg said. What's a megaparsec? Calvin asked. One of father's nicknames for me, Meg said. It's also 3.26 million light years. What's E equals mc squared? Einstein's equation. What's E stand for? Energy, m, mass, c squared? The square of the velocity of light in centimeters per second. By what countries is Peru bounded? I haven't the faintest idea. I think it's in South America somewhere the capital of New York. Well, New York City, of course. Who wrote Boswell's Life of Johnson? Oh, Calvin, I'm not any good at English. Calvin groaned and turned to Mrs. Murray. I see what you mean. Her, I wouldn't want to teach. She's a little one-sided, I grant you, Mrs. Murray said, though I blame her father and myself for that. She still enjoys playing with her doll's house, though. "'Mother!' Meg shrieked in agony. "'Oh, darling, I'm sorry,' Mrs. Murray said swiftly. "'But I'm sure Calvin understands what I mean.' With a sudden, enthusiastic gesture, Calvin flung his arms out wide as though he were embracing Meg and her mother, the whole house. "'How did all this happen? Isn't it wonderful?' I feel as though I were just being born. I'm not alone anymore. Do you realize what that means to me? But you're good at basketball and things, Meg protested. You're good in school. Everybody likes you. For all the most unimportant reasons, Calvin said. There hasn't been anybody, anybody in the world I could talk to. Sure, I can function on the same level as everybody else. I can hold myself down, but it isn't me. Meg took a batch of forks from the drawer and turned them over and over, looking at them. I'm all confused again. Oh, so am I, Calvin said gaily. But now at least I know we're going somewhere. Meg was pleased and a little surprised when the twins were excited at having Calvin for supper. They knew more about his athletic record and were far more impressed by it than she. Calvin ate five bowls of stew, three saucers of jello, and a dozen cookies, and then Charles Wallace insisted that Calvin take him up to bed and read to him. The twins, who had finished their homework, were allowed to watch half an hour of TV Meg helped her mother with the dishes and then sat at the table and struggled with her homework, but she could not concentrate. Mother, are you upset? She asked suddenly. Mrs. Murray looked up from a copy of an English scientific magazine through which she was leafing. For a moment, she did not speak. Then, yes. Why? Again, Mrs. Murray paused. She held her hands out and looked at them. They were long and strong and beautiful. She touched with the fingers of her right hand the broad gold band on the third finger of her left hand. I'm still quite a young woman, you know, she said finally, though I realize that that's difficult for you children to conceive. And I'm still very much in love with your father. I miss him quite dreadfully. And you think... All this has something to do with Father? I think it must have. But what? That I don't know, but it seems the only explanation. Do you think things always have an explanation? Yes, I believe that they do, but I think that with our human limitations, we're not always able to understand the explanations. But you see, Meg, Just because we don't understand doesn't mean that the explanation doesn't exist. I like to understand things, Meg said. We all do, but it isn't always possible. Charles Wallace understands more than the rest of us, doesn't he? Yes. Why? I suppose because he's, well, because he's different, Meg. Different how? I'm not quite sure. You know yourself he's not like anybody else. No, and I wouldn't want him to be, Meg said defensively. Wanting doesn't have anything to do with it. Charles Wallace is what he is. Different. New. New? Yes, that's what your father and I feel. Meg twisted her pencil so hard that it broke. She laughed. I'm sorry, I'm really not being destructive. I'm just trying to get things straight. I know. But Charles Wallace doesn't look different from anybody else. No, Meg, but people are more than just the way they look. Charles Wallace's difference isn't physical. It's in essence. Meg sighed heavily, took off her glasses and twirled them, put them back on again. Well, I know Charles Wallace is different and I know he's something more. I guess I'll just have to accept it without understanding it. Mrs. Murray smiled at her. Maybe that's really the point I was trying to put across. Yeah, Meg said dubiously. Her mother smiled again. Maybe that's why our visitor last night didn't surprise me. Maybe that's why I'm able to have a a willing suspension of disbelief because of Charles Wallace. "'Are you like Charles?' Meg asked. "'I, heavens, no. I'm blessed with more brains and opportunities than many people, but there's nothing about me that breaks out of the ordinary mold.' "'Your looks, do, Meg said. Mrs. Murray laughed. "'You just haven't had enough basis for comparison, Meg. I'm very ordinary, really.' Calvin O'Keefe coming in then said, Ha, ha. Charles all settled? Mrs. Murray asked. Yes. What did you read to him? Genesis. His choice. By the way, what kind of an experiment were you working on this afternoon, Mrs. Murray? Oh, something my husband and I were cooking up together. I don't want to be too far behind him when he gets back. Mother, Meg pursued. Charles says I'm not one thing or the other, not flesh nor fowl nor good red herring. Ah, oh, for crying out loud, Calvin said, you're Meg, aren't you? Come on and let's go for a walk. But Meg was still not satisfied. And what do you make of Calvin? She demanded of her mother. Mrs. Murray laughed. I don't want to make anything of Calvin. I like him very much and I'm delighted he's found his way here. Mother, you were going to tell me about a tesseract. Yes, a troubled look came into Mrs. Murray's eyes. But not now, Meg, not now. Go on out for that walk with Calvin. I'm going up to kiss Charles, and then I have to see that the twins get to bed. Outdoors, the grass was wet with dew. The moon was halfway up and dimmed the stars for a great arc. Calvin reached out and took Meg's hand with a gesture as simple and friendly as Charles Wallace's. Were you upsetting your mother? he asked gently. I don't think I was, but she's upset. What about? Father?